I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I've started the mic and become an idiot. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, this is Kelson Young, and uh, you are running for office. I need my notes, which I do have. I did come somewhat prepared. You are running for office for House District 80 here yes. in Helena. And um, let's start with a little history of you. All right. When were you born? No. <laughs> 76. Really? So, mm, Centennial Baby. Centennial Baby, and as my mom likes to tell the story, um, she had me while they were having a presidential debate. So she was watching the presidential debate in the hospital room as she was uh, starting the labor process. So they always tell me that I was, you know, political from the get-go. So the presidential debate would have been Ford and Carter? Carter? Yeah. Wow. I wonder if we can find a clip of that. <laughs> right. I bet that was interesting. Although so, yeah. it, it might inform some of your politics. 1976, Missoula, Montana. Yeah, delightful. And and so you've lived in Montana your whole life? Mostly? Yes. Um, like many Montanans, I left for a few years after college. So um, I graduated from the U of M in 99 and spent a year on the East Coast in Washington, D.C. And then about three to four years in Seattle area. Came back to Montana um, in 2003. So basically most of my life, but I think as many young people, you want to kind of get out and see other parts of the world, so I did that. Well, that's cool. So you moved to D.C. for a year, and yet you still don't hate politics. Exactly. That's impressive. Yes. Um, while you were in D.C., did you have anything to do with politics? Or? Well, um, peripherally, I worked for a, a national kind of think tank, is what they're called in D.C., and it's called the Center for Law and Social Policy, and I was doing a fellowship, and it was actually really interesting because everyone else who had done the fellowship in prior years were, were from Ivy League schools. And so when they had an application in their inboxes from a University of Montana grad, they called me right away and said, how did you even know that we existed, let alone that you want to come out and work in D.C.? And so they hired me over the phone, and I moved out to Washington, D.C., literally with, like, two suitcases and a few boxes and lived in a group house, which is a D.C. phenomenon, where you just, like, piled into a house with lots of other political type or policy types. And I, I did a year-long fellowship at this organization, and it was at the end of the Clinton presidency and right after the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and it was just such an interesting time to be an intern in D.C. and really have an opportunity to engage in kind of public policy but from that think tank perspective. So I wasn't on the Hill. I didn't work on Capitol Hill or anything like that, but was able to kind of engage in a way that I met lots of cool people and went to lots of interesting things. But um, I can't actually imagine having worked on Capitol Hill at that time, um, being so young and new, but knew a lot of people that did and, and really enjoyed living in D.C., especially as somebody who's from Montana. I hadn't really been exposed to the diversity that you get in D.C., so it was really quite a wonderful year to be there, but very expensive, um, as you can imagine, living in D.C. on yeah. a fellowship salary. Um, uh, they d so they did pay you, that's Yes, right. and if you can imagine it, I was making $18,000 a year for the year living in D.C., and my rent was like 700 so it was more than half of my take-home pay a month. So it was a, what I like to tell people is that I am the ultimate D.C. tourist. Literally, if you get a tour guidebook, I have been to everything because the good thing about D.C. is everything's free. Ah. So um, I like to show people around D.C. and certainly go back there on a regular basis. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, and then you moved out to Washington. Yep. So from one to the other. Exactly. Um, to the rain. I lived in Seattle for two years, um, various parts of kind of inner city Seattle. 
Um, and then also lived in Olympia, Washington for about two years. And um, I really never realized how much the rain and clouds could affect, you know, this small town Montana girl. I grew up in Haver, Montana, which is literally the most open space place I've been um, growing up, looking out on the sunrise and sunset and, and feeling really like it was time for me to come back to Montana after spending four years. I mean, Washington is absolutely beautiful, but there's nothing like the weather here um, in some ways. So it was, you know, I did really great things out in Washington State as well, um, but decided to move back home to Helena, Montana in 2003. And so your degree is in uh, public policy or? Uh, social work. Social work. Yeah, so I got a, a bachelor's in social work from the U of M and also a almost a double uh, major, but ended up getting a minor in psychology. Mm. Um, so yeah, graduated from U of M and... And social work was one of those things where I was in school taking psychology classes and taking policy classes and realizing that I hadn't really found my niche yet. And I took a social work class and realized, okay, so social work is about applying these kind of political and policy concepts to actually making a difference in people's lives. And that's really what um, was appealing to me about social work. Very cool. So it's interesting. You know, I I have a lot of the same history. Of course, I left, Mm -hmm. you know, and I actually left in the middle of college. Whole different story. Right. (laughs) Um, And and did Portland and then did uh, Phoenix because I had to, you know, you have to fix yourself in Portland. It's a little rainy and gray. (laughs) So I want to go someplace with summer. Well, that's Phoenix. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And and it's interesting because, you know, having that perspective and, and going there and in living in Maine and living in Texas and in California having a, a, a different perspective on the world and, and then coming back to Montana and realizing that we do have this very unique place. Absolutely. Um, I don't think people get it until they get away. I honestly don't. If you haven't left, it you have It certainly helps you to appreciate it. So now you're back. You've been working as the executive director for the Montana Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I said that wrong, but... Close. Uh, executive director <laughs> of Montana Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. Right. Which, okay, so... We always stress the against part. Right. Well, well and see, so what bothers me is that it's against domestic and sexual violence, but if it's just domestic or right. sexual... Yeah. ...then it's okay. Right. <laughs> Somehow I don't either think that's or. true. Either no. or. Um, either or and both. Yeah. Um, so you've been working there for how long? Well, let's see, 2004. So I've been with the organization for almost eight years, um, and was the policy coordinator is what it's called, but basically um, tasked with training and providing technical assistance to various people, but primarily working on policy. So I became the lobbyist for the coalition, started working um, in the legislative process, you know, trying to advocate for better statutes or policies around these issues. Um, And then in 2006, I was in one of those positions where you're on staff, Um, there becomes an opening in the executive director role and everybody's like, oh, you should do that. You know, so at the age of 29, I said, sure, I'll be the executive director of a statewide organization. And, um, did you have any idea what you were getting into? None, none. And you know, if I, if I can say this about myself, I oftentimes do these kinds of things, you know, where I like take on some sort of challenge and then I'm like, whoa, what are you thinking? You know, because I literally became the organization director Age 29, having never supervised anyone and, you know, not being responsible for a budget. And so... Mm, fun. Yeah. Six years later, I'm thankful that I've learned a lot in the last six years. And, and while Excel is still not your friend, yeah. you can... Well, the best thing advantage. I did was hire a financial person, you know, because I think 
one thing I know for sure is if I can't do something, I try to find somebody else who can and do it well and rely on them. So, and that's that's a really good thing. Um, It's actually a skill that, nice segue. It's a skill (laughs) that I think a lot of politicians actually lack. They don't have any self-awareness of what they're good and bad at. Mm. And, you know, part of it is, you know, we have this ego competition to get elected. And you have to have especially in national races. It's not so bad at the local races, right. but the national races, it really becomes, you have to have the ability to brush off all the negativity and, and say that, yes, you're the best for this job, and this job is everything, mm-hmm. you know, president especially. Right. And if you, once you have that ego, I think you lose the ability to recognize that you can't do everything, and things tend to fall apart as evidence. Right. History. Um, so it, it's good that you know that you have that sort of grasp on your own personality quirks. and Yeah, I do. I feel like I, I do know what I'm good at, and I know where I have deficits, you know, or things that I can learn. They can't see air quotes. Right. I love that. <laughs> Sorry. We, we've had more air quotes. We've got, like, a whole room full of them Well, I'll point. continue to do that. And, and it's great, um, but I don't have a way. To, like, I should get a sound effect for them. Right. Bring. Ding, ding. <laughs> um, so I really do, I mean... If you were to ask the my coworkers, the people that I supervise, the people that I you know support and mentor, I really do think that one of my skills is the ability to motivate other people to do things for one, and then to see that I can't do everything. I'm not, I'm not expected to. It's really about um, kind of. Oh, I'm sorry, you're not. No, it's and, and you'd politics. be amazed because you know I think as as executive directors, I mean it's similar to I think being a public official, you're kind of expected to be able to do everything and know everything and, you know, the, you know, what stops with you. And, and I think that that's an important responsibility to take seriously, but at the same time, I don't fool anybody else or myself into thinking that I can do it all (laughs) or that I can be the expert in all of it. So I have to rely on the different parts. And I think you're totally right about politicians or politics or any sort of public office. You really have to be able to trust your gut and your brain and what you think about things, but be willing to ask other people for help, be willing to ask for input, you know, be um, open to persuasion, so to speak. And, and to let yourself be educated, because when yeah. somebody brings you facts and can compile them in a logical story, absolutely, let that change your mind. Absolutely. And don't think that, you know, oh, I've changed my mind, I must be a bad politician, I must go away. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that you don't know something. Like I mean, you and I, really? when we talked about when we talked about doing this interview, I said, you know, there's going to be things that I don't know, and one of the things about deciding to run for office is is you can get stuck in this thought process that somehow you're supposed to know everything now, and that you're supposed to be an expert in all subjects, and I plan to learn and ask questions about as much as I can, but I can't possibly already know everything, right? right. And I think people are actually turned off by the idea that somehow politicians already do know everything. You know. They are, but I think they fetishize it in some way because we're looking for, and, and this is a gross generalization, so it'll probably get me letters, <laughs> probably from my mom. Um, but we're looking for, you know, we're all seeking answers, and it's nice to be able to look to somebody else and say, well, I trust this person to find them right. or to have them, more importantly. And when you then find out that, you know, I voted for this person, I believed in this person, and they didn't have a clue. There is that level of uh, Barack Obama that we've come in. You know, mm-hmm. that's what's going on with him is that, you know, there was a great level of expectation, which was so far out of bounds. I mean, right. When you really look at it, it was crazy 
but it's still there and people are still reacting with those same crazy ideas that he didn't do everything in the world to make it, you know, rainbows and lollipops for everyone. Right. And, um, I think there's a difference between, um, you know, deciding to vote for somebody who's, uh, potentially going to be ineffective or, or doesn't take the steps of actually learning something or is just swayed by someone else's opinion and doesn't really formulate their own understanding and opinion so that's one thing. And then on the other hand, like you said, it's also um, we always put people up on a pedestal to expect them to know and do everything. Right. right. And so finding that balance where, you know, I think that um, I feel confident that there's already a lot of stuff I do know. And, uh, and my one of the strong desires for running for office is to make a difference in those areas that I do know. Right. right? And then to be open to learning about the areas I don't. But I think that's different than somebody who doesn't, you know, know anything. Right. <laughs> and and so, tries to step up. Well, and, and um, yeah. But I almost I almost wish we'd get some people that would run. I, I wish we'd get some truly smart people who are not informed but are willing to know that they're not informed because I think it's a, it'd be an interesting situation where you have somebody who literally has fresh eyes looking at these problems and go, okay, well, what's the solution that you come up with? Right. Provided they're smart. The problem is the only way to prove they're smart is to test them on knowledge, and if they have no knowledge, uh, right. uh, we get them a banjo and put them in the swamp. Um, <laughs> uh, so you were involved. You've obviously been lobbying. Um, I know I saw you Advocating. over the cap. Ab- advocating, <laughs> um, but I believe you still had to register as a lobbyist. <laughs> yes, um, and I know that you gave testimony many, many times on many topics that were both directly related to what you do and ancillary to what you do, and, and but directly related to who you are. Right. Um, and I, I have you ever been? You know, I understand that obviously, and I would hope everybody who's listening has a clue as to why that's important. But if you don't, we'll discuss it later. Um, but have you ever been in a situation where you've been asked to lobby for something that you either didn't understand or weren't totally comfortable with? Um, is has 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 hmm. there been the political and not having been asked myself? I mean, right. I will volunteer to lobby for something that I have ancillary things for, and I've done that before, um, mostly because I do. I can get educated on the thing, ask the right people, and I generally ask both sides, come to my own conclusion, go, no, I will do this or I won't, or I'll mm-hmm. do it the other way because I think it's important. But uh, have you ever been asked to, you know, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you? Has there been any of that quid pro quo going on up at the Capitol? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would kind of frame it in the same way that you did. So the first part, I think, of your question is, have you ever had to kind of advocate for something that you don't know a lot about or that you, somebody's asked you to testify about? And I guess my answer to that would be twofold. The first is that um, domestic and sexual violence, the topics that I represent primarily, are complex topics. So, for instance, um, one day I'm testifying on landlord-tenant issues, right. and then the next day it's immigration, and then, um, you know, some sort of criminal statute change, um, forensic exam kits. I mean, it's it's a real wide variety, and so it requires the ability to get up to speed and knowledgeable about something quickly and try to put it through the lens of what's the impact going to be on the constituency that I represent, right? Okay. So that's one piece. And then the second piece is, and I, I don't know if this answers your question either, but... Um, I've actually worked for a couple other like lobbying firms where I had to work on issues that weren't necessarily personal or things that I, you know, 
had a lot of experience on, whether it's tax policy or energy policy or this or that, where I was asked to be a part of the process that wasn't necessarily my, you know, first nature in the sense of it's not from the background that I have. And so I was able to learn things about topics that I wouldn't otherwise know. Okay. Um, and the last thing I would say is just that I have been a advocate slash lobbyist for particular issues and organizations, but I've also done it on behalf of myself. Um, and you can read about this more in my materials, but I was the victim of identity theft and a pretty serious um, financial and kind of property loss when I moved from Washington to Montana. And I basically came out of that situation being like, the laws do not address this issue. And so this was actually before I had a lot of experience doing um, kind of formal policy work. I started going up to the legislature and testifying about the impact that identity theft had on my life and just as a private citizen what I thought needed to be done about it. And so that was a another time where it was like me versus all of the credit reporting agencies and the insurance companies and all this other stuff where I was trying to change the laws to deal with this problem and was coming in contact with lots of different factors that I wouldn't necessarily have anything to do with until that problem. And so it was a real learning process in terms of trying to negotiate um, kind of an issue area that you're not playing in every day. Right. That's interesting. Um I've completely lost my train of thought. I'm going down. That's yeah. And, you know, I'm always hopeful that when I've talked to people about the show that they're going to be able to come in and speak intelligently, and I should probably direct some of that hope at myself. <laughs> um, so it, the, it's interesting. The um, identity theft that you went through, you told me a little bit more of the story. Do you want to go into it now, or do you want to... Sure. I mean, I could just... Can you... Expand sum, a little bit Sum more. it up a little bit, and then right. I, I have a question for you about how... Um, the laws have changed because of the, obviously they have changed because of some of the work that you did and I did see some of your testimony I found on a legislative right. services site which was a miracle because I wasn't actually looking for it but there it was <laughs> it was bizarre right um, and uh, I think there's still probably more that needs to be done absolutely so well and it was you know um, I look back on this time in my life and think I don't even know how I did that because first of all the context is that when I was moving from Washington State back to Montana I you know I was 26 years old I packed up everything I owned into a U-Haul everything I had like a one-bedroom apartment you know all that kind of setup and I went and stayed at a hotel overnight and I woke up the next morning and I walk outside and the U-Haul is gone and that would suck it was gone and I I remember calling my dad and and calling my sister and being like it's not here. What do I do? And I was like in shock and went and talked to the hotel clerk and all this other stuff. Long story short, somebody had stolen the trunk, emptied it, and then abandoned it, abandoned it, I can't even abandoned. say that word, abandoned it in a parking lot. And so... Still in Seattle? Still in, yeah, out in Tukwila, which is kind of yeah. outside of Seattle. So literally go to bed, wake up the next day, and I didn't own anything anymore. I had brought a knapsack into the hotel with like a change of clothes, a toothbrush, whatever. So in an instant, I went from having a, you know, 20 foot U-Haul full of stuff to nothing. Lost all of my documents, lost all of my belongings. I literally didn't have a pair of shoes. I'd gone into the hotel in like some flip-flops or something. And this happened on a Thursday. And by Monday, I was back in Helena and started working at the law firm that I was going to work at as a paralegal. And in those three days had purchased, you know, underwear and pants and a shirt 
and some shoes and went to work. And then for six months, I dealt with significant identity theft to the point where I had um, threatening letters coming to my mailbox here telling me that I was, you know, being um, summons to court in Washington State for XYZ. And the problem was that <coughs> whoever stole my stuff um, was writing checks because they had, you know, an old check book thing mm. all over the West Coast. They had basically taken over my identity and opened up like fraudulent accounts. And this one really serious one was somebody had opened up a, like a, UPS box where you can get mail delivered and it was like illegal materials. I mean, it was this crazy, crazy thing. And all of this horrible stuff happened. But when I started trying to get help, when I called the police here and tried to get some sort of help, they said, there's nothing we can do about it. You have to go back to Washington State and make a report. When I talked to the cops in Washington State, they said, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, this is the kind of crime. It's very hard to prosecute, whatever. And then I spent probably two years trying to resolve all the things on my credit report and do all this other stuff. So what happened is in 2007, I think it was, the legislature, maybe 2005, or I think it was 2005, um, I heard that there was a bill being presented in the legislature about identity theft. And I just really felt like they were missing the point. Um, you know, with the best of intentions, sometimes legislators bring forth a policy change that hasn't really thought through the experience of you know, because they haven't experienced, right. They haven't experienced it. And there's really nothing like firsthand experience, you know? Hmm. So I went in and I said, this is what's wrong. And this is what's wrong. And the best and worst thing about my testimony is I made everybody cry, you know, because this story that I was able to tell really drew people in and made them listen. And we were able to get bipartisan support for all of these changes. And what happened is I was assigned as just an average citizen to this, like, interim committee. You know, you've heard of interim committees. Right. To actually develop this comprehensive identity theft legislation. So we came out of the 2007 session with a couple of things. There's this thing called security freeze where you can, like, lock down your credit and people can't open new accounts unless you go through this whole process. That hadn't existed in Montana before. There's a change in statute that says that you can file a police report wherever you live for identity theft, and they have to take it, and that has to be the kind of um, basis of the case. Because what happens when you experience identity theft is the initial police report is the thing that then allows you to access everything else, if uh, that makes sense. Because, and so if you don't have it because you're not in the same state. Right, and they wouldn't, nobody would give it to me. So long story short is there was about three or four laws that changed because of this group of people who worked together. And I certainly wasn't the only one. I was working with AARP and, you know, like I said, um, various um, consumer groups, credit reporting groups. And there was a lot of kind of back and forth with some of the more business-focused, like mm -hmm. what's the impact going to be on businesses. Right. And they were really surprisingly willing to work with me considering I was just a you know, average everyday citizen trying to figure it out. And then I got to go to, like, the governor's signing ceremony and Did you get ended a pen? up in... No, I didn't get a pen. Schweitzer! They, if you Googled my name, there was the... I think the weirdest thing that ever happened to me was, you know, you've heard of Consumer Reports magazine? Mm hmm I was, like, the... You open up Consumer Reports, and there's, like, an editorial page from the editor of Consumer Reports, and I'm the first three paragraphs. So they wrote a story in Consumer Reports about my story and it was crazy because I was just like 
they mailed me a copy of it. I'm like, I ended up in this national <laughs> magazine because of this horrible thing that had happened to me, you know? So it was, it's one of those experiences that I look back on and I'm just like, I'm so glad I'm past it. It's eight years later. I have plenty of clothes and I have a house and I just bought lots of new furniture for my new condo and stuff. But it's weird to think that that actually happened to me. It starts to become something that, you know, that must've happened to someone else. But just to remember that the way that I really healed from it, and I, it sounds corny sometimes when you talk about it, but the way I healed from such a violating thing was to actually make a difference and change it because I couldn't believe that there was no, there was no justice. The worst question I used to get was, well, what happened? Didn't, did you, did you ever get any money? Did you ever get your stuff back? What happened to you? Was somebody arrested? And to say like no justice, there was nothing, you know? So you know, I feel cheesy even saying it, but honestly, the fact that hopefully if this happens to somebody else and, you know, I can't imagine it would ever look exactly like my situation did, but that they would be able to have something better than I did. You well, know? I would hope so too. That's horrifying. And, yeah. and I have my own issues with the whole concept of identity theft <sighs> because we had laws for it. It's called fraud, but that's not on you. That's right. on them. And they should have taken responsibility for it. The creditors. The and, funny thing was that when somebody called me and said, you can't be Kelson Young because Kelson Young is a 45-year-old man. Which is just funny because for my whole life, people have thought that Kelson Young was a man's name, right? So my name is kind of unique. And right. people often confuse me and think that I'm a man if they just see my name in writing. And the other day, for whatever reason, people always think I'm an African-American man. <laughs> so I think that's funny. Mm. But the fact that somebody was telling me, you can't be Kelson Young. And I was like, this is the quintessential identity theft. When somebody's telling you you can't be who you are because he right. opened an account there last week. You know? Ah, that would, <laughs> that would make me crazy. Yeah. I have exactly. enough issues. I don't need that one in my life. Right. Um, so, but it's interesting that that really was your first um, direct involvement with legislation. Absolutely. And, you know, then, then you, we could talk about last year's uh, legislature, uh, <laughs> or we could avoid it. Um, you know, the big problems that I, I, I saw, and I obviously have my own outlandish, crazy, cranky opinions, but the big problem that I saw with a lot of what happened up at the legislature was we had a bunch of people who had never been involved in it before mm -hmm. and who thought they could just come in, say what they meant, and mean sort of mean things, and and change the entire world to their worldview and not have to do any work. Like, they literally had this opinion that the legislature wasn't a, uh, a cog in the wheel. It was this um, sort of place where you go to orate and everybody applauds you and then you've made change. <laughs> and, and, and Well, I can tell they... you there's a lot of other people working in the halls, right, <laughs> trying to, like, manage the disaster. Right, and then and you saw the disaster. I mean, we saw, we saw some major hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle, um, although it was much worse on the right. Um, but I do have to say, both sides of the aisle had their moments of insanity. Mm. Um, although, I, you know, I, I can kind of understand where some of it's coming from. I do get the idea that you want to make the world a better, better place, but you don't do it by uh, being a hypocrite. Um, 516 is the perfect example of that. For those mm. of you who don't know, I'll have a link to House Bill 516. I will write that down right now, just because um, it's important. But 516 was such a... Um, a prime example of these people who had campaigned on less government, less, you know, less, less, less. You need to be out of my life. Let me live my life all on my own. And then this bill was specifically designed to take away the rights of the people who decided that they wanted to live away a certain way that because it was different than what, you know, these people thought was right. 
Um, I happen to think they're wrong because I'm an adult. And uh, and the other irony, like you said, I mean, generally that kind of dichotomy between conservatives saying, you know, like, stay out of my business, whatever, and and yet then there's all these ways in which they want to be in your business. The thing about 516 that I thought was equally frustrating is on on Tuesday, let's say, they're talking about local control, local government control, the ability to With make bills. decisions right. locally. And then on 516, no, you don't want local control when it comes to protecting people's rights. You know, So it was really beyond just that individual thing that we often talk about, the fact that on one day they're talking about local control and on the next day they're saying, no, Missoula can't do what it wants to do. Right, you know? but Kalispell can tell Missoula. Right, <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, and that's, that's what bothered me. That's, you know, and that went on, that 516 is my focal point because it happens to be the one piece of legislation that actually made me yell at people in the Capitol, and I'm not quiet, so that was fun. <laughs> um, but... There were many other pieces of legislation that were just completely off the wall. There was stuff that involved state fund that was literally designed to put state fund out of business because the insurance companies want to be able to raise their rates. And it's like, well, yeah, no, no, you just can't. I'm sorry. That's the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of that that happened. And, and it was a contentious year, and it was 90, it was 90, well, was it 90 days or 86 days? It was 86 it's days. Always, yeah. They got done early. Yeah, they got done early because they couldn't stand each other any longer. Yeah. Um, it was 86 days of a slow walk through a dark valley in hell. Hmm. So, so you're, you're asking me why am I looking yes, forward to that? Yes, I'm wondering why after that, that <laughs> session you, wanna... you have turned around and said, well, I'll be a party to that. <laughs> uh, well, I think that um, many of us were cranky after the last session. <laughs> Um, so I like that term, cranky. Um, so I don't know. I think that I really, I believe fundamentally that just because things get crazy doesn't mean you should abandon the system. Right. So like, I'm one of those people that I think if I see something wrong, I want to go in there and help fix it. Well, right? Okay, yeah. So before you go any farther, realize that you know part of part of our problem is we've determined that having this ninety days of intense craziness is a better way for us to legislate. And how we came to that discussion or that decision is beyond me. But I look at what other states have to go through with their year-round leg- legislatures, and I think no, we have a much better system because we actually make them work. We don't let them get right. too crazy. If it was uh, all the time every year, yeah. you would see way... I mean, we would have the same fights every Six nine months, months instead yeah. of... Yeah. yeah. And it's... it's So I do understand that. And I do understand that there's a level of crazy that's going to go in. Especially, you know, we put... <laughs> my favorite thing in the whole world. Term limits. <laughs> we were dumb. And, <laughs> and my mom was one of the people who helped push through that. I love you to death, mom. And I know you said your mea culpa's on this, but... It was the wrong thing. We need to fix it. Um, so I'm hoping I that agree. actually we will. Um, because we have far too many people who have no idea what they're doing, and they're, they're the heads of committees. You know, they've been in the legislature once before. They were there, you know, kind of wide-eyed and lost mm-hmm. most of the time, and then they're in charge of the judicial committee. committee. It's like, uh, we can't do that. We can't do that to ourselves. We're losing the institutional knowledge. But back to the original point, which is 90 days of insanity, and you're willing to jump in the ring. Well, I was already in the ring, Kevin. So it's like... 
Oh no, oh no, I disagree. <laughs> because while you were near the, and this is, this, this is a prime example we were talking about another friend of mine actually, and I won't mention her name, but she has always been around politics. She's, her family's very big in politics, she's always been around it. And you know, she decided to run, didn't get elected, you know, didn't really run that well. Um, but the big reason that she didn't run that well is because she kind of had this level of, well, I've never played the game before. She'd always been in the arena, right. but she'd never been the gladiator. And while you've been closer, you've been like the refs on the right. side or on the sideline. Like I've been on the sidelines at a right. college game. That doesn't mean I played football. And I don't want to get hit by any of those kids. Well, so, I think it's a combination of things. You're so, literally telling me that you're going to put on the shield, the sword, the fuzzy hat thing, a horsetail yes. hat, and see, go out and fight the tiger. I love your, your, your description of it. Because as an advocate slash lobbyist... You're, for violence, and I right. use that metaphor. You're standing... <laughs> no, it's a visual thing, which I wish our listeners could see. Because when I'm on this side of the table, right? So when I'm at the podium trying to speak to the House Judiciary Committee, let's say, mm-hmm. I don't have any armor. I'm a lobbyist trying to advocate for an issue. Right. If you are an elected person sitting at that table with the power to be able to ask the hard questions and make the tough decisions and negotiate you know, your point and really advocate in a evil, evil, <laughs> in an evil, uh, and we're evil. not editing this. So that'll be fun. Everybody, that'll be a clip that goes on the news story. Kelson Young. And when you're evil, called it evil, um, <clears throat> but an equal playing field. And over there you have the armor and everything you described. I mean, I, you do have the armor I, and everything that you described, but you've also got to remember that it's you against a, a very large animal bring that, it. that is going to eat you for lunch. Bring it. Okay, I, I'm I'm perfectly happy with that. I just you know it's it's one of those you know it, when you choose to go into politics, especially in this day and age, there's so much that people can go at. Like I did a, a very simple Google search on right. you this morning, and in the first four pages, I didn't get an incorrect hit on you. Mm-hmm. So What's that mean? it means that every link went to something that was actually about you, right? Kelson Young, I was able to find you. And granted, playing with you know, it's not like I was looking up Jim Jones or something like that, where you know the name is much more popular. But first four pages didn't have an incorrect link. That's a lot of information that I could dig up on you. And oh, that's a lot of stuff that if somebody really wants to bury you with it, they have it. And it's like, I, I'm glad that you want to play Gladiator, but they've got a backloader. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and, and I should, when I say bring it, I should distinguish. I am, I am ready to be in the process, right? I am, I feel strongly that I have the kind of skills and you know, personality and patience and kind of thick skin that it takes to be at that table. It takes to be sitting in that chair, pushing that button. All of the external stuff from that, that you can't really control, it would scare anybody, right? Because... But does it actually scare you? Or yes, just, absolutely. I'm not okay. saying it doesn't. Okay. I'm saying that I, I feel confident that I, I, I have what it takes to, to be a legislator. Deciding to run for office is a different decision. I mean, it really is in the sense that you do have to be ready for all of that. You know, So going into this decision, I actually thought about it two years ago and decided I'm not quite ready for that. You know, And I feel ready now, although it doesn't mean that there won't be hard days or it doesn't mean that I don't understand that there's an arsenal on the other side. What I tell people is I feel like I'm a known quantity. 
I might not have a legislative voting record, but I have a record, right? I have no, a record right. in the sense that you Google my name, you have an idea about what I care about. Right. So they have plenty of ammunition, if they so choose, to be able to talk about the things that I care about or who I am or where I've been. And hopefully they won't find any, you know, unflattering pictures of me on Facebook. But who knows? Well, you but know? if they do, you know, the people that I see, and we're, we're the beginning of this. Yes. You know, I'm only a couple years older than you. Yeah. Um, but we are the beginning of this this generation that's going to grow up with our lives have been digitized in ways that we don't really expect. And while some of us have done stupid things, I'm raising my hand because you can't see it, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't find any shame in the stupidity that I went through because even though I made stupid choices, I not only lived through them, I learned from them. Absolutely. And um, while other people have done stupid things, they continue to do stupid things, and that's a whole different equation. So I think on some level, there, you know, there is going to be, you know, it'll be interesting the first time that there's a president that has a sex type out, and it's. Right. I don't it's, think I what, have that. Three or four presidents <laughs> away, tops. Right. Um, because guys are stupid with sex. Sorry, <laughs> happens. I do think that what you're describing though goes back to ego. If you go into this with a huge ego that's all about you and all about you know, this image that you have of yourself, first of all, you're not prepared for the hard knocks that you're going to get because you think that actually, you know, you walk on water. Like (laughs) I, I have a healthy ego, an ego that tells me to believe in myself, right? right? And what I can do. And like I said, to surround myself with good people, I, I don't proclaim to be perfect. I don't proclaim to have lived a perfect life. We, like you said, all make mistakes. Right. I also have never claimed to not be an opinionated person. Like, I have opinions about things and I say them, you know? And I've, you know, I've been to a kager. So if there's some picture of me at a kager, hey, you know, <laughs> like, you're going to talk to people who know me and we're there too. So I think that... At the same time that politicians get in this because they have egos and they want to be put up on a pedestal, we also put people on a pedestal and expect them to be perfect. And so there's a difference for me between being human and understanding that you know people live lives even if they're politicians versus really being able to hold political figures accountable. You know, I was reading in the paper today about a particular political figure who was talking about whether or not the fact that their spouse did something wrong is relevant to them and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's not black and white. There are plenty of ways in which what I've done or who I am or what you can Google about me really does matter and it should inform voters. And at the same time, I hope voters don't expect perfection. We all make mistakes. Well, you know? yeah. and That's not the I same thing as being a racist or being this or that, you know? Right, <laughs> you know, but you look good in a white sheet. Right. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Um, Toga? It's a joke, people. Uh, humor. We want to have humor in politics because when we forget to laugh at ourselves, guess what? We forget to enjoy our lives. Um, there's, so you've got your campaign going. How is it going? How's fundraising? It's good. Do you have Square yet? Are you able to take cards? What does Square mean? Um, I'll have to show you later. I'll put a link okay. in the show notes for everybody, <laughs> especially politicians, if you are doing anything where you are out and about, like tonight. Four Square. No, 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 oh. no, 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 no. Um, it's actually a credit card acceptance oh. thing that you can put on your phone and swipe a credit card and get money. Oh, that's crazy. Um, but it's great because when you're out and about, say, at a birthday party tonight with a whole bunch of people, you right. should be telling them about your campaign and collecting money. We should probably look I have envelopes. That. Right. Um, but you're right. Electronic age is important. So I have a website. I have an Act Blue um, site thing where you can donate online. 
I have fancy envelopes with a logo. I sent out a fundraising letter a couple weeks ago, and we'll keep doing that. We've had one kickoff party, which um, I filed on kind of filing day, which was January 12th. Right. Um, and we're doing fundraising. We've we've raised quite a bit of money, I think five or $6,000 for a couple months, which is great. Nice. Um, you know, these day and age, you have to raise about twenty to twenty-five for a strong campaign. So, you know, fundraising is its own kind of hall, so to speak. <laughs> it's unbeast. Um, I would rather spend all of my time talking to people that, you know, um, they're in my district and trying to engage with people and learn from people, but fundraising is an important part of it. Um, but I'm excited to finally have a website. It's really weird to have something that's like, you know, yourname.com. Yeah, and, and then have well, I've had pictures of you. <laughs> see, I've had my own website since 2004. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, 2003 or four. The blog or the... Uh, yeah, I've yeah. had I've had Ham on Rye, and then um, I started my mom's blog for a while, which I won't put a link to, because <laughs> if you do know who it is, great. If you don't, she doesn't want you to know anyway. Um, and then it's, so yeah, it was weird. It, it, it's especially weird when people Google search you and then find you yeah. and then send you a note. Right. Like cousins you haven't seen in a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was fun. weirded out by Facebook for the first six months to a year. Like all my other friends were on it and I wasn't on it yet. And so it always takes me a while because as much as I'm like a public figure, so to speak, I'm, I'm not, you know, one of those people right. that tweets and blogs and does all that stuff all the time because... I don't know. I'm just not like that. You yeah. Know? Well, so it's it's a transition to get to the point where I'm more engaged in social media, trying to. Um, it's like I really appreciate being an observer of it, right? Um, but actively doing it and being okay with me being out there and all that kind of stuff, it's just something to get used to. It you know? is. Um, I do have one note for you on your website, though. Yes. Everything's in the third person except for your opening. Um, I thought that's how it was supposed to be. No, honey, it's your website. <laughs> it should be you talking to well, it's much like you, this. I'll tell you one thing. When you decide to run for office, everybody tells you different things. Right. So but, you'll have three people that'll tell you to put it in the third person. You have so I appreciate well, but, that. It, but your website isn't Kelson Young for H right. that's your Facebook page, which I think is funny, right. but it's the reverse. But right. your website is actually KelsonYoung.com. That's your voice. Right. Your voice is always supposed to be, you're not Bob Dole. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Only when I'm trying to be funny do I talk about myself in the third person. So maybe I'm just trying to be funny. Uh, missed. <laughs> so, that's an important uh, note. Thank yeah. you. Um, no, it's, it's just my comment, and I could be completely off base. You know, I've obviously never run for office. <laughs> However, I've seen the successful people that have, and yeah. generally they talk with their own voice. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I wrote it all, but yeah, right. I get, I get, what I, get I could tell you wrote it, but then I was like, why is she speaking in the third person? <laughs> Hell. Uh, um, so I'm gonna call my English teacher. Uh, they're still alive. Yeah. Hmm. I'm wondering if mine is actually. <laughs> anyway, um, so you, you've got your campaign up and running. You had your kickoff party. You have a couple other fundraisers coming up. Yeah. Um, are you going door to door? Are you doing the big walkout sort of grassroots thing? Absolutely. Or? I mean, the one thing that I knew going into this is that I'm running in a district that, um, you know. Door knocking and voter engagement has been a priority for Mary Caffaro, who was the House um, rep there before. So prior to the current um, Republican who holds the seat, uh, Mary, who's a good friend of mine, you know, was very involved in voter engagement. So number one, my district expects it. They expect to see the candidate several times, and I fully plan on doing that. I also think that, you know, a lot of people tell you to just, like, 
what I would call a drive-by, where you just kind of like cruise by the house, drop your material, and keep on moving. And um, I tied it in a t-shirt, and threw it <laughs> right, your Exactly. Can you imagine if I did it like newspaper boy style, <laughs> it's just like? But we have to give you the bike with the bell. <laughs> yeah. And and part of it is you're kind of like you you. You're tempted to do that because they expect you to be on so many doors in such a short period of time. But what I'm going to do is go and talk to every voter that I can and actually ask them, like, what do you care about? Because one thing, I got involved in this kind of stuff because I wanted people to understand what I cared about and what I felt. And so I would um, relay that same respect to the voters. So, Like, I really mean that. You know, a lot of people say that, but I actually mean that. That I want to know what they care about and what problems they're having and what they. So want when you fixed. come up, uh, and I, I know we discussed this earlier with the whole how to get educated quickly on a, on a subject that you don't know, mm-hmm. but when you come up to a, a voter who, you know, and I hate this term because I tend to be one, right, <laughs> a one issue voter, and it's not an issue that you know about or particularly care about, right? How do you deal with that? Well, um, are are you going to make sure that you give them? You know, do you say I'll give you the best advocacy I can? Right. but you're insane. <laughs> Well, I mean, the way you framed it is if I don't know about it and I don't feel strongly about it. So in that situation, I would certainly just be open to the information, you know. So I met with a constituent last week on a particular topic that I – it's not, you know, my first um, ten things that I, you know, work on in my life. But – I was really just open to hearing what he had to say. Like, tell me what it is you want me to know. Tell me what you wish would happen, you know, as a legislator, what you would want me to do about it. And I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to process it, and I'm going to talk to other people I know and try to figure out, okay, so what does that mean in terms of a policy platform or a vote or whatever? But I certainly think that, especially if I'm on doors and there's like 10 to 15 people saying the same thing, over and over again, then that identifies a problem. And the great thing about a legislator or as an advocate for policy is when you hear people telling you the same problem over and over again, you can actually try to pinpoint what's the solution. You know what I mean? That's what I do in my line of work is the way that we develop our policy agenda is because our programs call us and say, we got this problem, we got this problem, we got this problem. And then, and then you have to distill it down a policy to the point. And we ask for it, right? And that's what I would do as a legislator. And I can hear myself talk and think, God, you sound like a politician. But it's true, you know? (laughs) It's just true. That's how you do it, right? So if there's just one person that has a particular issue, some things are something that I would, you know, try to figure out with that person if there's a way that we can fix it. Or I would at least just listen. I mean, because part of it is... As legislators or as candidates, people don't listen very well. Yeah, you know? I, I would posit that we uh, we actually don't do it that way, do we? we uh, a lot of yelling, screaming, raging against the wall, right. and um, some thumb-sucking and crying in a corner, really, <laughs> is, is how we get a lot of our bills passed. Right. Um, um, so, success or no, I, I do wish you, you success, but uh, are you done after, you know, one and done, is it that sort of thing, if you don't make it, or... No, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, I'll be up there next session regardless. They're stuck with you regardless. Yeah. So uh, it was funny. So you'll either see you in armor <laughs> right, or, or not. I spend a lot of time in the judiciary committees because I work on, you know, things that affect law. And I saw some of the legislators and, and they were confused. Like, okay, so if you win, will you be a lobbyist or will you be a legislator and whatever? And, and I did just... Did you look at them and go, do you not understand how this works? <laughs> right. I wanted to say, either way, you're going to have to deal with me. You know, one way you'll have to deal with me in your private meetings. Right, exactly. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully um, come November uh, we prevail. But if not, then I'll be at the legislature doing what I've been doing. 
Cool. So how is campaigning affecting your life? I mean, it's, it's basically it's a, a, it's a second job. Oh, yeah. I was at a training the last weekend, and they were like, oh, it's, it's like a second part-time job. And I said, no, no, no. It is a second full-time job. Um, as an executive director of an organization, I was already working more than 40 hours a week. Then you decide to run for office, and any free time that you had, you are now spending sitting at your computer or on the phones, and soon, once this blizzard stops, on the doors. You know, But the good thing is that I have lots of friends and supporters and people who will help me, and you know, a partner and a roommate and a family that will do the things that I can't get done, you know, but, um, it's intense. Yeah. So, it, and then if you win, right. Knock on, uh, is this marble? It's, it's marble. Knock on marble. Uh, knock on marble. Um, provided you win, then you're actually in the legislature. You've got to right. go through the two weeks of training to figure out how it all works because right. you know how it all works, but you really have no clue. Um, right. And totally then, and then you've got structure. 90 days where you're literally for, you'll have 18 hour days every yeah. day for 90 days. I already have that though. But but you it's different. How are you going to deal with all of the stuff that you had as the executive director? Well, that's or is the somebody thing else is, going to have to step into yeah, that role? That's how it works. So if you, I mean, like we all, all the legislators have day jobs, right? So I would have to take a leave of absence from the coalition from January to May, and so um, someone will step up and be the you know kind of interim director while I'm gone. I have somebody I've been working with who will be the primary lobbyist, and so those positions, if I win will be filled. So it's, I know this is going to sound horrible, but I've been a lobbyist and the executive director for every session. So I've already done the 12 hour days and as a legislator, it'll be equally as intense, but it'll be one focus. You know what I mean? Um, I, I'm glad that you think that about you. No, no, no. I'm just saying, I'm just saying <laughs> that like, I know what my commitment will be. Right? Oh, okay. Which like, is I get told in as lots opposed of to being, directions. am I yeah. the director so, or am I lobbying? Absolutely. Okay. That's what I mean. That's, and I'm sure I'll still get that. pulled in the other I'm, directions, but... And, you, and you'll have a lot of... I am used to being there long, long hours. I think maybe it was you and I. We were there, and I had been, you know, long days. I think it was like the week before Transmittal, and we were in that bullying hearing on a Monday, which was a holiday, and I had been upstairs doing something else, and then I, you know, you get to a point where you're so tired, you just say the most... Random. ridiculous things like evil when you don't mean it and that kind of stuff but um, it's been a long day i've been today. there late nights and one of the scariest nights was the whole capital was empty and there had been this hearing and it was kind of one of those anti-government hearings where these people were really upset about a particular thing yeah and we all walked out of the capital like in the dark it was kind of creepy i was just like oh boy but you start to get to the point where you're you know you don't see the sunlight except for through the fan window on the third floor but Right. At least it's only for four months, right? Yeah, well, three technically, but yeah, yeah four. It ends up being, there's there's a lot that goes on with our legislature that's crazy. Um, I'm hoping that this session will not be quite as contentious as the last one was. I'm, I'm very hopeful that, uh, one, that you win. I, I am very hopeful that you win. I'm, I'm not impressed with Liz at all. I, I don't think she added anything to the legislature for either side. I think that, that was a waste of a vote right. in most cases. Um, well, and I think that that's what you've said a lot today and about people should know what they're getting into, you know? And so people have warned me that like the fact that you're a lobbyist may be a bad thing for you. It might be a deficit. And, um, air quotes again, I really I need think, that sound, I need I really a soundboard that, um, you know, because you only have four months 
and you're trying to do two years worth of policy and you know all of and the correct different things and correct years. everything else and 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 a lot of states do a separate appropriation slash budget session from a kind of law session. Yeah, actually, there was a we discussion do it all together. There was right? a discussion last year actually about changing it to have it so that instead of having ninety days in one year, you actually do forty five in each year. Yeah. So basically, February through March, you'd be in session because right. they wouldn't do it at the beginning of the year. Let everybody have January, which would be smart because January right. is a nightmare to work yeah. with. Um, so come here during February when it's a blizzard anyway, and the roads are, are crappy, and you have to stay in the capital, and yep. you can actually get work done, and and do the first session, and then do the second session. And I almost think that that would be a good thing. So if that were, you know, would you present a bill like that? I would consider. I mean, I think that the and does it have to be a bill, or would it actually have to be a constitutional amendment? It's a constitutional amendment, I think. And I know that every session that I've been up there, somebody has tried it, and how they make it look is different. You know, are we going to do it? Um, longer than the 45 days every year. I do think that, like, it's interesting because just from a personal point of view, I don't want it every year because it's so um, intense and stressful. But at the same time, it might actually really make sense yeah, but if to you have could a budget if you could year take the, and a policy Yeah, year. if you could take the appropriations bills yeah. and it's deal with them It's just you're trying to do time. too much in the 90 days. Right. You know? and... So other than, like, personally, because I really love my winters when I don't have to do some of that stuff because then I get to like take on a hobby like one time I learned how to make bowls at the clay studio and that kind of stuff so again purely personal but I think that there's a lot of good reasons to do it that way I just think that you know um, there's been a lot of reasons why people don't support that so I do think that the point I was trying to make is that you know there there was this phenomenon last time where it was really cool to be out of the system right, right. i've never been a legislator i've never been this i I've i'm not involved in, in policy I'm, I'm not associated with government you know and that was some sort of like cool hip thing it was a badge right? it was a badge right. of honor to wear and and there were a lot of people that were involved with it that got elected from that way because they were they approached the election in a sort of I'm an outsider I can change Absolutely. this and then they got into it and they were the worst offenders of actually running up against the, I won't say they actually broke broke the law but they came very close on many occasions to breaking the laws and the laws are in effect not because we want them particularly but because in especially in the legislative process those rules are in effect because without them it's chaos and it is the chaos that we had when the copper kings ran the state it's the chaos that we had when the corporations tried to steal it from the copper kings it's the reason that butte has both freeways and helena doesn't even have the doesn't even have i-90 mm -hmm. it's ridiculous you know it's, and when you say laws you're talking about like the legislative decorum rules, which were broken on a regular basis. Yeah, but those are just rules. You're talking. No, I'm, I'm just I'm, talking I'm about actually talking the about state and the, the meeting laws. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there's, there's the meeting laws that they actually they did break a couple of times yeah. and had to be informed. You're breaking the law. Yeah. It's not. It's not a rule. It's not a. It's not a courtesy. It's a law. Right. Um, you can be arrested. You can be taken out of your seat for this. Right. Don't do it. Well, all I'm saying is they <clears> range <throat> from let's you know, uh, let's ignore federal law let's ignore existing state law let's ex ignore you know policy and practice and rules that talk about public access and that kind of stuff so there was right. it happened on many different levels and i think that um it was it's interesting because the same people that are like i'm an outsider um then they were an insider and they were trying to negotiate within that and really um realizing that but they were then it's doing... It's hypocritical. Right. Like well, they were, they were then doing the things that they were railing against that got them elected. Exactly. Which, 
it's like, wow. So you had, you had some people railing, and then you had some people just quiet doing what people told them to. Right. And so I guess my point is that I'm hoping that it's cool and hip, again, to be informed and to be experienced and to actually oh, have it's, a record. It's, it's, it's never cool and hip to be a nerd. <laughs> Um, no, it but is. But sometimes it is worthwhile <laughs> to elect them. Yeah, elect nerds. Um, but so I have another question for you, and this is kind of it, it's it's on topic, but it's not related. So it, there's no segue to it. Uh, exactly. Uh, random tangent. Uh, I, I just remember. I remember when five and back to five sixteen. God, I need to get this off my chest. Apparently, um, uh, there, during testimony for five sixteen, uh, Harris Himes was up and talking, and Ellie Hill backed him into a corner. Mm-hmm. And she did it in the sweetest, blondest, happiest, smiliest way. Right. But and he didn't realize it. He didn't realize what was coming. He had no idea what was going to happen. And you could literally see the daggers sinking into his skull. Right. Um, <laughs> it was priceless. But at the last minute, she asked the nicest question rather than asking the one that would have taken him down. I can kind of see where she's coming from politically, and and I'm not second guessing her. But I know me personally, I would have never taken that tack. I would have cut him off with the kneecaps and then beheaded him uh, verbally, right? Because the marble does stain. There with are blood. rules about right. that. <laughs> but um, at the last minute, she she just wanted him to quote. You know, can you can you quote from the Bible what it, what exactly the punishment is, rather than making him. You know, he, so he gets the quote from the Bible and he uses terms that are kind of... But he does that even if you don't ask him to. Right. And, and so it was, it was kind of bizarre. So I, I guess my question is, after leading up with that horrible lead-in, um, are you going to be on certain issues when it gets to the point where you're being badgered by one side or the other, or maybe by both sides? Um, are you going to have the resilience do you and, and this comes from not knowing you well enough as a person you know, yeah I, I, I've met you what six times right. <laughs> and I adore you love being around you but don't know you well enough and I know how I am I know that you know there, there's that point and once we're past that point you're fair game and while you may have armor and a shield and mm. a sword I have an AK-47 <laughs> and and a trigger finger Mm-hmm. So you know, at, at some point in the in the process, you know, it's so condensed. There's so little time to get things done, and people just don't let go. On both sides, even your side, are you willing to cut them off, or 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 how do you deal with that? Do you do you stop them? Do you? Well, I want to. Um, <laughs> Isn't that so? Fun? I was in the room when that thing went down between yeah, Representative right Hill there, and. Behind me. <laughs> And Harris Himes. And I've also, I've um, gone head-to-head with Harris Himes for the last four sessions. So, you know, as somebody who lobbies for pro-choice issues and pro-gay issues and violence against women, he actually came into a hearing and talked about how um, sometimes women ask for it in terms of domestic violence. And and so I have encountered and, and he him didn't, he didn't in get, particular. He didn't get smacked exactly. right then. And so I have encountered him in particular. So... The reason I explain that is because, again, experience is important. There's all of those people that, you know, get your blood boiling the most. I've had to go head-to-head with every day. If you ask Harris Himes, who is Kelson Young, he will tell you exactly who I am. He knows who I am. He knows how I feel. He's a 45-year-old black man. He knows I shut him down (laughs) all the time. So, I mean, I feel like this is one of those questions that's best answered by people who know me best and by people who have been on the other side. 
of the battle. So I'll so have to when I have when, when you, have, you ask Harris Hines, he'll no, say something have, really nice and I, sweet about me. I'm I don't sure. know that I could have him on the show as much as I will try yeah. to be neutral with the show. <laughs> you don't um, want to go there. I don't think I could do it because he would open up his mouth and I'd have to kill him with shrimp. Right. Like I, it's like <laughs> I'll show you abomination, my friend. But <laughs> one thing I want to say about your question because I do think that this is important, and I had this conversation with a mutual friend of ours as well. Is I think that we, I really do think that we in the collective kind of fighting for social justice or working on particular issues. We all serve different roles. My role as a legislator will be different than it would be if I was sitting in the room or if I was um, on equal playing field testifying or if I'm, you know, doing the rally outside, right? So I think that we all serve different roles. As a legislator, no matter how much I don't like what somebody says, I will never treat them with disrespect. And that's different than not being strategic and not pushing them to that point where they someone like Harris Himes says the thing that you need to get on record. So don't get it twisted. I will, I will go to battle, but I will not be disrespectful. And partly because I've been disrespected so many times. There are legislators up there who, as young pro-choice lobbyists, we have been called murderers. We have been disrespected in a way that, you know, I think it's hard for most people to imagine. And I, as a legislator, wouldn't use my power to make somebody else feel like that. So I would do it in a way that's appropriate and um, certainly find a way to try to um, make my point known. But I'm not going to disrespect someone because that's just not my style and I know what it feels like to be disrespected, you know? So I think there's, there's a political theater. I think you and I talked about this last time. There's a political theater aspect of this that is important and I know I'll be a part of it. But it's still a, it's still a system that works best when people treat each other with respect. You know, it just is. Right. So, so um, I guess when you're confronted with the people who don't respect you, right? How are you going to deal with that? And I realize this I question will is stand up for myself. I think that you know, you gave the example of Representative Hill, and I think you know she did the best she could given the circumstances. I like to you know look to somebody like Representative Diane Sands, who you know. Um, has been involved in the process for a long time, has literally had to sit next to arm in arm with legislators who vote against her humanity, you know, who say that as a lesbian woman, she is an abomination and all those horrible things that Harris Heim said. And, you know, they voted against the um, law last year that would have taken deviant sexual conduct off the books and all this kind of stuff. So right. you, when that's you're a legislator... Something that's been struck out by the Supreme right, exactly. Court... Of Montana, right. the United States. So when years, you're a legislator, but... you're, you know, you're shoulder to shoulder with these people that say horrible, horrible things. And the, I honestly think the best way to counter that is to um, eloquently and with uh, pride for yourself and confidence shame them. It's the best way I can explain it. Because when, oh, when Diane, you know, said in committee, do not talk to me anymore in the halls. Do not, you know, because she was just so offended. And I won't pretend to quote exactly what she said. But sometimes you can be honest and real and you can shame people into thinking, really, you just treated me like this? You know? And I also think that, you know, it's one thing if I feel like I'm part of a group that they are, you know, um, expressing that sort of hateful view about. But also for groups of people, like, for instance, last year we had so many bills that were about immigrants, right? A very anti-immigrant 
um, platform. And I'm not an immigrant in the sense that, you know, um, you're white. You think, right? But yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. That's why I put the caveat on. I'm not an immigrant in the sense of how we describe immigrants today. In in the sense of the the white man. Right. But I am adamantly, you know, uh, supportive of efforts to make sure that immigrants are treated humanely and have justice. And the way that people were talking about um, immigrants of all races and circumstance was incredibly offensive. And you call it out for what it is. You know, you call people on what they're doing and how So you are going to call them on the floor. Absolutely. I'm going to call them out, but I just won't be disrespectful. You know, I just... Good. There's a difference. There's a way that well, you can, like... There is a difference. Yell and, at someone or, and, you know... And one of the things that I find that's really funny... Are you leaving? Yeah. This is our friend Julie who's letting us uh, record here, so we're finishing up very quickly. Um, no, you're fine. Um, <laughs> you can say hi the, to the people at home. No. <laughs> um, Sure. Um, yeah, we'll probably cut that out. I said we were going to edit the show. No, you know what? We won't edit the show. This happens. Life, this happens. It's life. Um, yeah, where were we? Oh, um, calling people on the floor. One of the things that I saw at the, at the last session that just drove me nuts was there was a lot of times when people wouldn't use the rules to actually take the floor, call someone out on what was literally insanity and illegality and rule breaking and get them removed. I don't understand why it wasn't done. It makes me crazy that people, you know, I, I understand that we don't use exactly Robert's Rules of Orders, but we use a modified version of them to, to maintain some sort of level of functionality up there. Yeah. But there's a lot of times where they let stuff go and, you know, in committee, they let stuff go in uh, full session and they just didn't have to. And all it takes is for somebody to stand up, call a point of order, get those people removed. Right. And well, I kind of hope that it'll be that way. I kind of right. hope that the rules will be more um, used as weapons this year. And I, I, I kind of, and I'm the worst at that. I'm, I'll admit it right now. First time I'll ever walk on a piece of grass is when you put up the sign telling me not to. Right. So I realize it's really odd that I'm advocating for this. But I think um, there's a lot of reasons why that happens. That if you and I had another half an hour, we could get into because oh, we'll have some, another show. This right. is just the first sometimes, one. What's really fun know, about this believe is me, we get to do I've it again. I've been involved in this, and sometimes it's the end game is more important than the short game, and all these other sort of strategical things. But ultimately, you're right. What it's about is having enough courage to call people out. And you know, like in any leadership position, you're standing up there sometimes by yourself, and you look around, and there's nobody standing up behind you, and nobody in front of you, and you're like, oh. Or as a woman, they're going to call you emotional, and all these other things. So I think that it does take courage to do that. I hope that I have enough courage to do that. I think that in most situations, I will be the kind of person. And again, I I really think that this is best, you know, relayed by people who know me well, because that's why many people are supporting my campaign because they actually think that I'm the kind of person that will do that. I'm not saying that there won't be days where I'm just like, oh, you know, so-and-so over there, you just keep saying your crazy stuff and I'm just going to sit over here and, you know, wait it out. Yep, I'm not good. saying that I'm going to get, I'm, I mean, I could get a lot of exercise, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. But I do think that when it comes down to it, I'm the kind of person that will um, stand up for myself and for the things I care about. I just think that there's a lot of reasons why that sort of maneuvering happens and like you said, sometimes it happens from both sides. Yeah, well, I think that last year there was a lot of – there wasn't a lot of maneuvering. There was a lot of times when it could have been done that it was dropped by both sides. And 
Well, part of it's hard when you're in the minority, too, because right. you can either be the vocal minority or you can be the minority who's hoping to get whatever they can out of a situation. Right, and and I do understand that, but there were a lot of times when the majority didn't do it, and I think it was because they really didn't know that they could. They didn't right. know the rules. Well That's enough. because you usually, like, if you look, you have one or two representatives or senators on either side who are supposed to be, like... The elder the statesman. The expert in the rules. And, elder statesman. Yeah. They have the beard, <laughs> right. which is always good for a woman. And it'll be interesting and, to see what happens in the Senate, because, like, Steve Gallus was it, you know? And so, I don't know. Those are the kinds of things that, like you said, with term limits, there's a lot of, do people even know what's possible, you know? So, um, the possibility of term limits is just a law. It was not enacted as a constitutional change. It was just a law change. Mm-hmm. Um, it requires... I think it just actually requires the legislature, but it does require a full quorum and the supermajority vote. Plus, it has to be signed by the governor. Mm. Think you could get it? Is it a, is it in your top ten list? Is it a priority to get the ability to have some institutional knowledge at our core institution? That was a nice, sneaky way of asking yeah. that question. <laughs> I don't know if I would consider it in my top ten list, but I do think that we're at a place where... Um, We've, we've tried it, and there's a lot of people from both sides of the aisle, from you know people who've been around for a long time or people who are new, who agree that the system isn't working the way it is. So, so, so would I you, think that would you people... advocate abandoning them or extending them? Meaning, would you, instead of being, because right now it's eight years in the House and... Right. Uh, well, to be honest with you, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those things that, although I agree that the impact of term limits has been detrimental mm-hmm. and in many ways, I'm still a little bit on the fence until I actually think about a proposal because for me, as a young woman, do you think that I would be able to run for office and get elected if we didn't have some element of term limits? Because no. when I was a, you know, working up at the legislature in 99, all of the senators and representatives had been there for 15, 20, 30 years. You only see that a lot of people who weren't traditionally legislators, women, um, you know, minorities, uh, other sorts of you know, demographics who are now legislators because they have more access. So it's this thing where you have all these people who are new who don't have any experience, but you also have opportunity for people to who get are into new the process. And, and can change up the process. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm it has pros and cons. So I'm, I was thinking about it, and I've actually put in a lot of thought on this, and I don't think Good. that we should abandon it, but I think we should extend it. The house, the the longer you, longest you could be in the house is sixteen years. Right. Longest that you could be in the Senate is twenty four. Well, and let's face it, the term limits as is. That's already happening. People are just switching sides. So people are running, serving in the House for eight years, and then they're running in the Senate, serving for. So really, they end up serving. Yeah, but they for can't go back. No, no, no. I'm just saying. Right now, they do. Like, right, but they, you can run in the House, does. and then you can run in the Senate. Right, but then you can't go back to the House. Right. And so you because have to take the, a break. I'm, all I'm saying is that what you're describing, like. It, it does, it, it does happen to an, to an extent, but I think that I think if we slow it down, I think especially as we become, you know, we've become this twenty-four-hour news society, which is just dumb. <laughs> but what we've become with elections, elections are effectively two years long now, right. and that's just killing us. Totally. So you know, it's like we should have an election, you know, every two years, but we need to stagger some things out. And I think that extending the easy way to do it is extend the uh, representatives that get elected in the next cycle to a four-year term. Right. And then it becomes a four-year term after that, so it's two, So we alternate the yeah, staff. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to stagger like the Senate does, and I haven't put enough thought into it to really think about it, but it would be nice to stagger like the Senate because each year you could potentially have a completely new house. 
you know. <laughs> Hello, last year. In some ways we have. So Yeah, not fun. But yeah, so I mean, I think that we got to look at term limits. I just think that there's a part of me that's thankful for term limits to an extent because it allows for someone like me to enter the fray. Um, but there's lots of reasons why it's not working. Cool. You know? So we're coming up on, oh, we've gone over an hour. Wow. Wow. Um, anything else you want to talk about? I mean, I will have you back because this is, obviously it's the first show, and I really appreciate that you're doing this because everybody else that I've talked to, they're like, well, once we hear Kelson's show and we hear what it's about. Right. Um, well, we'll I have tell to say, you, know you, you were much easier on me for this time, so I hope that I get to come back and we get to um, banter some more. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think part of people are expecting a little bit of, you know. Well, and, and, well especially if they know me. I am bombastic. I'm kind right. of a prick. Uh, and I fully admit it and kind of embrace that. But that wasn't the purpose of the show. The purpose no, of the show is to give the people that are running for office in Montana a chance to really sit down and talk about what they're wanting to do and not cage them in with, you have to fit my agenda, you have to fit this other agenda. So, it's okay. Um, and I actually want to say that I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. You know, driving over here today, it's been a long week, it's snowing out, and I was like, but... I get to actually just talk about myself and like have a dialogue and and I do think that when you decide to run for office, everything starts becoming sound bites. Like write the uh, yeah. perfect write the perfect three sentences for your website. And, and that's and what I wanted to and, avoid. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to just talk. And I hope that people that listen to this enjoy it and don't just think that we're going on and on and on. But that they actually get a. I mean, I would I would assume if you don't know me and you heard this, maybe you know me better. And certainly probably better than if you read my website or anybody else's website, you right. know? I mean, I just think that you're actually creating a space for people to really hear from the candidates or hear from the people making policy. And so kudos to you. And I think if you want to have me back and join me some more, I'm looking forward to it. I would love to have you back. So just to recap for everybody, if you're subscribing to this on iTunes, which I really hope you are, that's great. Um, leave a little note, tell everybody how you hate it. And this is the worst podcast ever. <laughs> Or not. Um, or not, and give us a plus, that'd be even better. Um, but there are show notes on the website at politicticboom.com. Which um, I love that title, by the way. <laughs> I keep telling everybody, and they're like, yeah, I was talking great. to a friend of mine, and she's like, huh, having an explosion in politics. I don't think that's really PC right now. And I was like, think of who you're talking to, kid. <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, so at Politictic Boom, we will have in the show notes links to Kelson's site, her Facebook, her Twitter, um, where you can donate to her and um, some of the information that we talked about um, I'll try to dig up the article in Consumer Reports I think that would be cool to link to Um, and then comments will be open this is the experiment I don't know that we're going to leave comments open forever because that does leave you know it allows for internet trolling Hmm. right which I'd like to avoid. So um, I will be moderating all the comments. They won't go up until I approve them. And some days I'm busy, which means they won't go up right away and you'll have to suffer. Mm-hmm. But uh, comments will be there. And if you need to get a hold of us, there will be a link where you can email <coughs> me. Um, and you can also obviously get a hold of Kelson through her website. So um, my thanks to my good friend Julie for giving us space to do this <coughs> recording today. And... Uh, I think that's it. I'm not sure who our next guest is going to be. I have a couple of people that are interested, but they want to hear the first episode first. Well, I encourage anybody who's considering it to do it. It's a good time. And I do think that for the next one, you have to get some sort of noise for the air quotes. 
so yeah, because I can't we, imagine we that anybody who's running entertainment for, in this. Anybody who's running for office won't use air quotes. I just, <laughs> right. I, we're taping your fingers I think it, to your side. Is it a song. generational thing? I'm not yeah. sure. No, no. I'm pretty sure if, if I can convince Christine Kaufman, <laughs> she'll do air quotes. Right. If Christine Kaufman does air quotes, I need to see that. <laughs> I won't have a camera because I don't need to be on it. Anyway, so... Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining me. And thank you for listening, everybody. It's been real. Thanks. Politics in film.